Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Last week, Luis Shaparo was woken up by his cell phone. It was a Thursday, and he was getting one DM after another. Strange messages in the middle of the night don't bother Luis. He's a reporter covering the drug trade in Mexico. He's got a burner phone for these kinds of communications. But these messages, they were coming in from Culiacan, the heart of Sinaloa cartel territory. And they all said the same thing. Something crazy is going down. So I literally woke up to a hundred messages from sources in, in Culiacán telling me that there was a big operation at this uh, ranch where Los Chapitos were living. Los Chapitos, meaning the little Chapos, like El Chapo's kids? El Chapo's sons, yes. And to be honest, I dismissed the messages because sometimes these guys party too much and I was like, they're just, you know, like high on something or something like that. When did you know it was serious? I guess it, it was like around six in the morning. That's when the videos started flooding in. A wave of violence swept through Mexico's Culiacan city on Thursday. These videos show Culiacan on fire. The cartel was responding to the arrest of Ovidio Guzman, the youngest son of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Ovidio Guzman was wanted by the U.S. and has been called a major trafficker of fentanyl and other drugs. Ovidio had been detained just outside the city in a small town known as Jesus Maria. It's where Ovidio was born. It's also where one of his brothers is buried. It's a town that no one really talks about. It's a super small town. So reading that name in the news for me was confirmation that they, they captured or they were about to capture Ovidio. One of my sources inside um, Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, who was really close to, to these operations, he told me that they had only 10 minutes to capture the video. Because they were just so afraid of what could happen next? Exactly. Yes, exactly. But the retaliation and everything. So they distracted people while they dumped parachuters on his front yard. And uh, within 10 minutes, he was, he was captured. He was um, being uh, transported by air on an helicopter to Culiacán, airport, and from there he was put on a military plane to be flown into Mexico City. This operation was big, 
And I think the latest reporting says at least 30 people were killed in it. Yes, I mean, that's exactly what I'm about to find out. I'm just booking flights to go to the small town of Jesus Maria. Because as they recovered signal, I started reaching out to some local residents. And they started telling me that there are over 100 uh, missing people from the town that were grabbed by the Mexican military. Today on the show, what we know and what we don't about the arrest of a drug kingpin's youngest son. Will this latest crackdown make any difference? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I want to lay out exactly who Ovidio Guzman is. He's in his 30s, right? So he's pretty young? Yes, he's uh, he's 32. Have you ever met him? Never met him. I've never met him. Uh, when I started going to Culiacán, um, it was not strange to see him driving around the neighborhood of Tres Rios. It's like the wealthy neighborhood? It, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wealthy, you know, uh, neighborhood with a bunch of U.S. chains. Like, there's a Starbucks right there. Uh, where Ovidio used to drive by to get his coffee. He was a local character. Exactly. And he was sort of like his dad, like, you know, very flashy. He liked to be seen. He liked to be known as one of the Guzmans. Um, He's attractive. This is a man that gets his clothes from places uh, in in Italy or, you know, in France. So he he likes to stand out. the uh, manager of that Starbucks once told me that Ovidio Guzman usually got uh, a frappuccino, a frapp, <laughs> on the <laughs> Starbucks or a black Americano. And that sometimes he was, um, he, he, uh, he asked for the name of the cop to be El Raton, you know, and I, I don't know if that's true or not. They... He has a Starbucks name. Exactly. That was like his, his Starbucks name, basically. <laughs> so picture this the son of an infamous drug kingpin, 
walking around a swanky neighborhood in Sinaloa's capital city, sipping on a frap, emblazoned with his cartel nickname, El Raton. El Raton is the, the mouse. Um, and that's because he, he looks like a mouse. <laughs> you know, he's a, he has these prominent ears and, and a small mouth with big teeth, you know. Uh, but that was mostly for, you know, people not in the organization. Inside the organization, he's known as El Bebe, the baby. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a sign of respect. Yes. I mean, they, they call him the baby because he's the youngest of El Chapo's sons. Um, but also, he's the one that El Chapo wanted something different for. He sent him to a Catholic school on a very exclusive um, elementary school in, in Mexico City. Uh, and, you know, he wanted him out of, of Culiacán, of Sinaloa, and the whole organization, I guess, because he knew what was happening to some other of his sons, like Edgar, who was murdered, or Ivan Archivaldo and, and Jesus Alfredo, who were really young, but they were already, you know, taking part of the organization. It sounds like that didn't happen. Like he didn't get away from the cartel. So what's his role in the cartel now? He did have some operations, mostly um, cocaine and fentanyl trafficking to the Arizona region. But other than that, he was not, um, you know, like a huge trafficker. His hmm. role is, is, is very, I guess, very minimal. The impact his arrest has on, on the organization is mostly moral. I think the, the Chapitos faction of the Sinaloa cartel is very demoralized by his arrest. And, uh, but in terms of his effect on operations, Ovidio was not calling the shots. He was not a big operator. He was... He was just uh, the son of El Chapo. It's interesting because you say that Ovidio, he wasn't a big guy in the Sinaloa cartel. But after he was arrested, there was a lot of chaos in the region. Yeah. There was video of passengers on a plane ducking for cover because of shooting and video of, of people shooting, trying to shoot at helicopters. You know, it definitely seemed like Things were wild afterwards. Yeah, I, I, th- I think he had he had a lot of people in his command, but mostly those attacks were put together by his older brother, um, Ivan Archivaldo. As a show of force? Yes, exactly, as a, as a show of force of the organization. Because at the end, if Ovidio was not, you know, calling the shots inside the organization or having huge operation, he was being... Uh, taken care by his uh, by his brothers. Uh, when El Chapo was captured, he basically asked his brothers to take care of Ovidio. In Sinaloa, family is everything. They respect a lot family ties. So if you are part of a family, there's na- nothing more sacred than that. So a government arresting one of their own, especially the baby, it's very, you know, like it's a big deal for them. They They are... For what I've heard, it's that they are pretty, pretty angry, pretty mad at the government. This is not the first time the cartel has defended Ovidio Guzman with violence. More than two years ago, the Mexican government tried to arrest El Bebe right in the middle of Culiacan. But the cartel's foot soldiers reacted with overwhelming force. And within hours, Ovidio was released. This botched attempt to hold the cartel accountable has become known locally as Black Thursday. 
Luis still remembers it in vivid detail. It was totally warfare right there. Uh, they even managed to break in the uh, military base that is uh, settled in Culiacán. And they put gasoline on the houses of the families from the soldiers that were taking part in the operation. And they threatened the military to set on fire uh, their families if they didn't release Ovidio. So the Mexican government decided to let him go. It was a huge embarrassment the, because the Mexican government had Ovidio. And they essentially said, we're overwhelmed. Exactly. They, they, I mean, and that had an effect on criminal organizations. They started doing that kind of stuff more often. They set stores on fire. They started killing innocent people in the streets to create chaos. And that also added to the fact that they really needed to capture a video to send out a message that they are not going to be let go that easily. How does the Mexican government avoid getting into the same situation with the cartel this time around? I mean, we've already laid out the ways that they, you know, used air power to basically avoid being on the streets, avoid being blocked by the cartel. So that's one thing. And they seem to have evacuated Ovidio to a maximum security prison. But it is the same prison that his father broke out of, right? Yes, definitely. I... I honestly think the Mexican government has enough intelligence and a military powerful enough to, to capture and, and, and have these kind of people, like these top uh, drug leaders in Mexico. But what I think is that is hurting the most is corruption amongst officials. So would it surprise you if, if somehow Ovidio escaped, disappeared, was released, something to that effect? It wouldn't, it wouldn't really surprise me at all if a video was released. Right now, I was looking at the, uh, at the, the investigation file they put on a video, and one of the attorneys told me that it was really badly made. That means that his chances of getting out are very much, you know, like, it's very likely that he goes out under, like, a technicality in, on his legal files. After the break, what will the Sinaloa organization do now? And will the Mexican government ever fully dismantle it? Part of why Luis Chaparro thinks it's so hard to understand exactly what's going to happen in Sinaloa after the arrest of Ovidio Guzman is that the cartel is in the midst of big changes as a business. In fact, Luis says he doesn't even think of this organization as a single monolithic entity. He's gone so far as to say the Sinaloa cartel doesn't exist anymore. The uh, Sinaloa cartel exists only uh, by name. It's a, it's a brand. You know, it's something that even different factions have been put out for, for rent to other organizations, to small gangs, if they want to use the Sinaloa cartel brand to their own benefit, they have to pay um, a percentage of those earnings. So it's like a franchise system? Like kind of how you can have a locally owned McDonald's? Exactly, it's it's 100% a franchise. Um, after the, the 90s, the Sinaloa cartel was uh, more of a vertical organization, right? With a boss at the top 
and then his two commanders and the rest of the people. But with the strategists who captured uh, one of the drug lords and then they will set up another one, they were losing money on that. They were losing power. So they changed the structure to horizontal organizations where you have a bunch of people working together for different heads. Uh, right now, it's really hard to say or call this is a member of the Sinaloa cartel because then you will have to ask the question, who is really a member of the Sinaloa cartel? Is a money launderer um, working for the Sinaloa cartel or is, is he a freelancer You know, for that organization? It's interesting. It sounds a little bit like you're saying that the cartels are kind of learning from the benefits of the gig economy. Like <laughs> if you sort of break things up and you you don't you don't keep everything so close, there are advantages in that for you. Yes, exactly. I think that's uh, that's a great way to put it. I mean, the economy, you know, the the, the criminal organizations are alive organizations, right? They keep changing. They're very resilient. Maybe probably the most resilient organizations in the world is the, the crime industry. When they lose a, a, a stream of revenue, they switch to another immediately. When one of their CEOs is captured or killed, uh, they find a new replacement immediately, so they keep working. And as the economy of the world changed mostly to the gig economies, um, I guess the criminal organizations also did the same. Hmm. One way you've chronicled how the cartels are changing is that they're trying to respond to this moment when marijuana is becoming legal in most of the U.S. And marijuana was a part of their business. So how are the cartels adjusting given the way the legal landscape it looks pretty different than it did 20 years ago. So when the U.S., most of the U.S. states started legalizing weed, that was, of course, a, a, a revenue that was cut off from the, from the criminal organizations, especially from the Sinaloa cartel or the Sinaloa organization. So they had to come up with something different. And this is also relevant because this whole operation, to my understanding, was mostly put together by Ovidio, by El Raton. And he started um, recruiting producers that, that, that were living in LA or Colorado and that knew about the weed industry to work for, for him, to experiment with different strains, to put together manufacturing places, um, greenhouses and dispensaries. So kind of making the drug into like a luxury product. Yes, I guess that's that, that, that they were smart into like how to take back a business that it was uh, not on their hands anymore. And they found that the uh, premium weed market was booming and was going big, at least in the U.S., but also in many Mexican cities. Um, so they started an experimenting phase. You know, the last time I was there, I, I, I was allowed in on one of these greenhouse, greenhouses and they... They even put 24-7 music to the plants. They music? Put, like classic music, <laughs> soft rock, because they feel that that's the way the plants are going to grow better, healthier. And um, so they're, they're really taking care of that business. 
The fact that Ovidio Guzman was the brains behind a high-end marijuana business, complete with classical music for the plants, is why, for Luis, El Bebe made for a strange government target. In fact, Luis recently tweeted out a picture of Ovidio's brother, Ivan Archivaldo Guzman Salazar, and he wrote that if the government was serious about bringing down the cartel, they would have gone after him instead. So I asked Luis why he thought they hadn't. Ivan has been really, really smart in regarding where he lets himself be seen. You know, he there's a very few photos going around of Ivan. He's the older brother. And when El Chapo got captured, uh, he left everything to Ivan. So why the focus on Ovidio? Like, why, why did the Mexican government go after him in 2019 and then again now? Is it just that he's the lowest hanging fruit? Yes, I think there is definitely a part that he was an easy target because he was the weakest in the link. He was the one very, like, mostly skeptical about being captured. Um, I, I've been told that Ivan and, and Jesus Alfredo had really, you know, like strong arguments against Ovidio's uh, flashiness. They've always asked him to lay low, to keep quiet, to stop going out on those like fancy supercars, um, to take care of himself, to arm himself. And I guess Ovidio disregarded all those advice, all that advice for a while. You know, he he felt that he was not being a target because he felt, I guess, he he knew his role in the organization. I, and I and I guess he knew that. Well, he thought like I'm not. I'm never going to be a target. I'm not as I'm not even as half as huge as Ivan or El Chapo was. Um, and also, I think the Mexican government thought that it was uh, embarrassing them since he was so flashy and so openly out in the streets of Culiacán that when he got married on a local church, he closed several blocks around that church with sicarios. He was, it was a huge deployment of armed people um, around Culiacán while, while he was getting married on, on that church. And, I mean, that was... Uh, that was sort of like two in the face of the government, right? Like, I'm going to get married. I don't care what you say. I'm just going to close half of this city uh, with my man, with sicarios, to, to protect myself. I'm sort of curious. Do you think there's an appetite in Mexico to really bring down the Sinaloa cartel? I I think it, it there is and there isn't. I think uh, it's a it's a complicated question because I'm sure that Mexico wants to turn down most of the uh, criminal organizations, but only when it's convenient uh, for their political agenda. Right? These capture came suspiciously close to the meeting between uh, U.S. President Biden and and Mexican President Andres Manuel. Some joked that it was like a gift to Biden. It's a leverage, you know, to to whatever agenda Andres Manuel wants to push with Biden. Um, I'm pretty sure that Andres Manuel knows how eager Biden is to have his own medal, right? Every U.S. president has his own drug trafficker extradited. Now, in terms of going after the whole organization, or at least the factions of the Sinaloa cartel that are around, I honestly don't think the Mexican government has the will to to exterminate those or to end um, any of the criminal organizations out there, because at the same time, they're serving a purpose, right? They're serving 
a, a political purpose, an economical purpose in the country, uh, and pushing agendas also. That's really dark <laughs> to say it like that. And but I see what you're saying, which is that you know when you as a government are seeing members of the cartel as part of a bargaining situation as a chip, you don't want to lose the ability to have that negotiation. And if you're actually really trying to get rid of the cartel, in some ways, it may leave you with less power is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. I think it's uh, in Mexico, we have we have a, an official government and we have a uh, shadow government, which is basically the criminal organizations. And in places where the authority or the official government is not present, um, the shadow government steps in, um, enforcing, you know, when COVID hit in Mexico, many rural places were not caring about like wearing um, a, a face mask or, you know, um, social distancing. And the ones enforcing those measures were cartel members, the, the, the criminal organizations. It's a symbiotic relationship between drug trafficking organizations and the Mexican government. They're both benefiting from each other. And if one of the Sinaloa cartel members say, hey guys, we need to vote for this party or this president or this governor because he's on our side, uh, they're gonna do it. They're gonna believe in the cartel to do that. And that, that's where they, they're gonna come handy to the government. Luis, I'm so grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Mary. It was a pleasure. Luis Chaparro is journalist and producer, covering narcos, drugs, and immigration in Texas and Mexico. And that's our show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to show us some support is to sign up for our membership program. That is Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to figure out how. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, Victoria Dominguez, and Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with an assist from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is here day in and day out, making sure I read the ads. And I'm Mary Harris. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. And I'm passing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew right now. They're going to carry you through the weekend. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.